just lift him up also. Um, so we started off this month talking about the unseen things. Pastor Chris was, you know, talked about faith and we talked about freedom. <clears throat> and tonight I actually want to talk about prayer. And, and I was saying about this because prayers, the act of praying isn't unseen, right? We can see that. But what we can't see is we can't see the intent of those prayers. We can't see the heart behind those prayers. This is something that God sees. And this is something that God adores, if you will, right? But this is, this is what I was thinking about, is that all the unseen things that we can talk about, the, the faith, the love, the freedom, the hope, prayer, all these things, they may be unseen, but what we can see is we can see the evidence of them. You can see the evidence of somebody, of, of love. You can see the fruit of it. You can see the fruit of faith and of mercy and freedom. You see that in people's lives, and I think we see that with prayer also. We see the evidence of a praying person in their lives. We see it. Um, you know, I was thinking about what prayer is. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's so many different, it, it's performed so many different ways. There's very religious ways to pray. There's people that are still praying the, these, these put together prayers in the Catholic Church and in Orthodoxy. There's, you know, there's quiet prayer, there's corporal prayer, there's prayers in, in, uh, of thanksgiving, there's prayers of need. There's, there's so many things that prayer represents. But one thing that's central is prayers are, that's our, that's our tie back to God, right? Like that's our tie into eternal things. That's, Christ is what is the mediator between us and God, but prayer is that line of communication that we have back to the, all these unseen things. Um, Candace and I were talking about something today just, and it was like, you know, there's, a, there's this idea of, you know, if you do something wrong, you're going to open a window and you're going to let bad things into your life. You're going to let demons into your life. And to not get into that, just to say there's, there's spiritual warfare going on around you at all times. This is why we pray. This is why we have this avenue, this conduit back to God, because we need it. Um, so we have all these examples of prayer in the Bible, and, and I was thinking about this, and I think about Hebrews where it says time would fail, you know, to keep going, to mention all the, all the people. But I just wanted to talk about a few. Um, one of them is David. Like, we can't have this list without David, because David, the psalmist, this was a man of prayer. David was an amazing, amazing guy of prayer. Um, Psalm 5, 1 through 3 says this. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And watch. You know, and I, and I was thinking about this because do we watch? I lift up a prayer, right? I lift up a prayer to God. And then sometimes it can be really easy just to turn and walk, you know, and just, okay, I've done it. I've done my part. And there's, that, there's not that expectancy of God to come in and, and respond to me. David said, I prepare it, and then I watch. I sit back and I watch to see what you're going to do. 
That's a heart of expectation. That's a heart of of expecting God to respond to me. If I don't expect God to respond to me, there's no purpose in my prayers. There's no point in me praying. I'm praying to an empty, an empty idol, right? When, when, when idolaters would pray to their idols in the Old Testament, they, there was no response, right? We can, we can look at, the, at Mount Carmel and what's going on there. There's no response. It's empty. It's, it's void. But God, always, God will respond. Doesn't mean we like his response. Doesn't mean we always understand his response. But God is always responding. I was telling somebody this morning, actually, um, and this isn't me. This was, uh, we we're listening to some stuff from Ravi Zacharias, and he says this. He says, sometimes you just got to live life in order to see God's faithfulness. You just got to walk through fire. You just got to walk through the valleys and the rivers and the waters. You get, you've got to walk through these hard times. And you may not see it then, but when you get to the other side, you look back and say, okay, I get it. God was faithful. He was faithful through it. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's another place where David prays. Um, there's a lot of places where David prays, but I'm, I'm only going to do a, a few here. Um, in 1 Samuel 23, I wish Jeffrey was here because we were just talking about this the other day. But um, in 1 Samuel 23, it says, um, you know, they told David um, that the Philistines are fighting against Kayla. Kayla, Kayla. Um, and they're robbing the threshing floor. So... So the Philistines are coming, they're attacking the city, and look at what David says. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? He goes to God, right? Um, God tells him, go. God says, go attack and save them. Verse 3, David's men said, behold, we are afraid here in in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kela against the armies of the Philistines? I don't care what God said. If we're scared now, how much more afraid are we going to be once we're in the heat of battle? So what does David do? Verse 4, David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So they go. They go down, they go to war, and and there's victory. Don't you love that? There's victory. Now listen to this. Verse 6. When Abathar, the son of uh, Imelech, Abathar, Sorry. Um, had fled to David, to Kayla. He had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told, to, to, it was told Saul that David had come to Kayla, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Who's God working for here, right? Like there's these, there's these two narratives going on. But look, God gave David victory. He said, you'll have victory. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Caleb to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. He said to Abathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. And David said, verse 10, David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Caleb to destroy the city on my account. But God gave you this victory. God told you to go to this place because you would have victory. You know, sometimes God tells us to go to a place and there's victory there. And then it can seem like, well, maybe I made the wrong choice. This, maybe, this was, maybe, this was the, maybe this was the wrong choice. Maybe I should have listened to my advisors, my men, and not the word of the Lord. So in verse 11, he says, will the men of Caleb surrender me into his hand? He's worried, right? Um, 
And look, the Lord said, they will surrender you. Again, it can be really easy to start thinking, man, I made the wrong choice. I made the wrong choice. But David and his men arose, they departed, and they went wherever they could go. So, you know, the point is, is God sent him in there. God gave him the victory. And when it looked like there was trouble, God also gave him deliverance. It can, again, it can be easy to look at our situation and to say, uh, I don't know, maybe I made the wrong choice, maybe. But we trust in God because not only does God give us victory, he gives us deliverance. He gives us deliverance. Um, there's one more example of David's prayers that I want to bring up, and that is found in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the prayer that David offers after his sin with Bathsheba. And I'm actually going to read this because I love this. Um, That's another reason. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice where I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings. And whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. What I love about this this psalm besides just everything is that he's talking about sacrifice again but what is it he's saying look i could do the acts i could come to you and i could and i could slaughter the bulls and i could bring the lambs and i could do all the acts but it means nothing if my heart's not in it and so the inner part of our prayers the the source of our prayers the root of where our prayers come from is what god's looking for not the acts, right? We've talked about this before. We can't do to become, but once we become, we begin to do. Once God changes what's deepest in us, what comes out of us just begins to change. You know, David, David's, David was called a, a man after God's own heart. But there's a really cool book about David. I forget the name of it. But the guy that's writing it wrote it from Jerusalem. And when he sat down to write it, a lady at this cafe says, oh, you must be a writer. He said, I am. So what are you writing about? So I'm writing a book about David. And this is a Jewish woman. She said, why would you write a book about that bloodthirsty man? She didn't have a high opinion of him. 
He's, he, was, he was a man of war. He was a man of, but you know, so I, I heard somebody say one time that the same propensity he had for evil in, in, in just warfare was the same propensity he had to do good and righteousness for God. God doesn't choose us because what, he, what we can see. He chooses us because there's unseen things. You know, there, Jesus prayed a lot. And I was, I was caught by this. There, there, there's, four place, there's four verses here that I, that I was looking at today that, that really struck me, right? is Mark 135, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's healing all these people. Things are going great. What does he do? He gets up in the morning. It says this. He says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Very early on, Jesus is in prayer. Very early on, this is what Jesus is doing. Now, we know Luke 5.16 says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In the, in the, in the, some translations say it, he would frequently or he would regularly. Or in the, the idea is there that Jesus would regularly go away to these private places and pray. In Matthew 14, verse 23, when he had just fed the 5,000 people, he dismissed the crowds. What did he do? He went up to the mountain and prayed. Jesus understood the principle of prayer. Luke 22, 39 through 46, when he's at the end of his life, what is he doing? He's praying. He's praying. And Ethan was telling us the other night the medical condition that, that, that actually exists when, you're, when your pores begin to die or, or open up so much that they can actually release blood. There's a medical condition, and it's caused by by essentially um, shock to your body. Your body goes into so much shock. Jesus was in so much anguish that night that, that he was sweating blood. You know, and John 17 is, is this high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. He prayed for us. He prayed for his disciples, but he said not only for the ones I have now, but also the ones that are to come. Not that you would take them out of the world, Right? Our prayers can sometimes be, oh, God, just, I, I, need to, I need to get through this day. But sometimes God has us in these moments, in these things, and we just have to walk through them so that we can see his faithfulness. Um, the church was founded on prayer. Right? Acts 1, um, verse 14, they were all together. What were they doing? They were praying. Acts 2.42 says this, they devoted themselves. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of bread fellowship, and prayer. Yeah, how can we expect to, to start a move of God, whether it be in our, on our college campuses, in our city, in our community, or in, or in a different country, if it doesn't start from a place of prayer, if it doesn't start from an inner place in us? You know, my marriage is, is still intact today because I had a wife who would get on her face and pray. Paul mentions prayer in all but one, maybe two of his letters. And those are, there's even some things there that he says that you could say he is a prayer. Paul mentions prayer in, in nearly every letter he wrote. What does he say? He, tell, he says to the Romans, he, says, he always tells them how much he thanks God for them. Right? He's letting them know that they're prayed for. 12.12, um, 12, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. Uh, Romans 15.30, he says, strive together with me in your prayers. Philippians 4.6, anybody want to say that one? Be anxious for nothing. 
but in everything, let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving, right? Mm-hmm. Prayer, is, prayer is not a, a light thing, right? It's not a thing we should take for granted. And this is so important to me because I just found out not too long ago that there's somebody praying for me every day. They have an alarm on their phone, and they're praying for me, and they're praying for my family. Mm-hmm. And it just struck awesome. me. We don't pray for people until they ask us, or not that we don't, but it's not common to just say, man, you know, I'm going to pray for Chris. I'm just going to put an alarm on my phone, and every single day I'm going to pray for Chris. Not because he asked, but because Chris needs prayer. Because Sorrell needs prayer. Because, because Charcy needs prayer. Because we're broken, and we live in a broken world. And as long as this is the case, prayer is essential. It's essential. I heard this story one time about... A man who prayed for these two guys. I don't know. I don't remember if they were old army buddies, coworkers, classmates. I don't remember the details, but he prayed for these two guys every day. In every situation when prayer was a thing that they had, these two men were named in his prayers. At mealtimes, in the evening, in the morning, these two men were named in his prayers. And this went on for, gosh, maybe decades. It was a long time because at the end of this man's life, he's in his hospital bed and, and they're praying as a family and he's, and he's Pray for them. Pray for them. Please continue to pray for them. And somebody asked him, why? You've been praying for these men for all these years and nothing's changed. And he said, well, God never told me to stop praying for them. He told me to pray for them and he never told me to stop. So why would I? And the, the story, the, what I read in this story is, is that, that his wife told that story at his funeral. And both of these men received Christ at his funeral. Because of the testimony that he never gave up. He never stopped. It's easy to stop. It's easy to say, maybe I made the wrong choice. Maybe, you know, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. Jesus was exhausted in the Garden of Gethsemane. But his prayer wasn't, wasn't me, me, me. It was you, you, you. His prayer wasn't, I need this. It was what, what needs to happen so that you're glorified? What needs to happen so that the world sees you above all else? I've said this before. I know Pastor Chris has said this before. Prayer doesn't prepare us for the good work. Prayer is the greater work, the greater work but it is the greater work. Adam was telling us last weekend about um, Greater Grace, the church that Evergrace is a plant from. It all started because... Because somebody just like Sorrell, somebody just like Teresa were meeting together at a little Baptist church in a town that was three streets wide and praying for God to move in that town. And because of that, there's 700 churches around the world because these little women just decided, you know what, we're going to ask not for what God has, not, not the lowest common denominator. God, we want the very most that you can possibly do. We won't settle for some, you know, just some minor thing. We're going to prepare this sacrifice and we're going to watch. And they watched. And I mean, this was, you know what happens when God moves? People burn churches down. Is that right, Adam? Y'all went up there and the church had been rebuilt because they, they ran them out of town? Because God began to move. Because some little ladies prayed. And I don't know the statistics here, but I know Pastor Chris has said this before that and maybe it's not a statistic. Maybe it's just from experience. Pastor Adam might be able to, to, to add to this. But when you get people together for church, for worship, for services, people come. You say, hey, guys, we're going to pray. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to come together and pray. 
And oftentimes that's the least attended service at a church is the prayer gatherings. Just we're not doing anything but praying. We're missing it, guys. We're missing something when we think that's a lesser work. That's something that we give off to the Sorrells and to the Teresas, not knowing that, that we have the courage we have because they're behind the scenes praying. And so I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. Um, why do we pray? Because we see a continual pattern of God's faithfulness all throughout this book. This is why we pray. Because we see God's faithfulness. We don't always see it the way we may like it. Again, Paul's dead. Paul died a, a, a horrendous death. So did Peter. So did Christ. So did many of the prophets. That doesn't make God less faithful. Our circumstances do not, make, do not determine God's faithfulness. So we pray because we know God is faithful. So I challenge you, if you don't have somebody that you're praying for every day, find somebody. Not, don't, don't, they don't need to know you're praying for them, or they can. It doesn't matter. Find somebody, not because they've asked for it, but because they need it, whether they ask for it or not.